0: Hey, this is Tucker Max with Diggin' for Bones sharing with you episode 8. On today's episode, I interview Lady Viper. Lady Viper is a trans woman who goes by sheher. She is a boot black sex educator up here in Oregon. She also is a cow. We talked about some really good stuff on today's episode and covered some heavy things, some sexy things, some fun things, and some pretty serious topics. I think you're really going to enjoy the episode, so please stick through to the end. And if you have feedback for the show, please just send me a message. Cheers.
1: Today's episode, I have Lady Viper here with me, my favorite boot black and cow, as well as many other personalities and trans And I'm so excited to have you on air with us today. Um, But yeah,
2: thanks for being here. You want to take a second to introduce yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Hi, my name is Lady Viper. My pronouns are she, her. Um, I am kind of like what you said, like a modality of like 10,000 different things. I mostly identify as a Jewish American leather princess, which means I aspire to basically be Fran Drescher with a whip. Um, I am also a leather cow. So um, I'm sure a lot have like met pups and leather pups and you know kitties and otters but i'm a cow moo um and i also identify as a matrix. i switch sometimes to get service submission for things around my house to get things done for my mistress so it's it's a very interesting life just to say a very unconventional life
1: well thank you i'm so excited to have you on I appreciate your patience. We've actually had a couple reschedules to get to this episode. Um, There's just been a lot going on. And I wanted to apologize and say I know that, again, yet again, some life stuff happened and there was delays in this episode. Uh, But a couple weeks ago, I got diagnosed with scarlet fever. And how that happened was just an intense six weeks of four doctor's appointments And three of them, because I'm gay (laughs) or queer, whatever you want to identify as with me, um, each doctor just kept STI testing me over and over and over again. And not a single one of them ran a strep test. And that turns out scarlet fever and strep throat can turn into an autoimmune disease called uh, gutate psoriasis. And so my whole body <laughs> has been covered in red spots. And I have been a little insecure about it to be posting pictures and jumping on and recording things. Um, so, yeah. And, and I know, Lady Viper, you mentioned you had some experience with this, too.
2: Yeah. Um, so myself, I actually, and I'm going to slaughter this word. So <laughs> for my listeners, like, who know this term, I'm so sorry. Um, so I myself live with Hydrodentis uh, Supravata which is also a skin disease, which basically has like four stages of how abscesses are on your body um, that just come from food intake, smoking, the weather, who knows. Um, And actually, a lot of people in my life have this as well. um, And a lot of us haven't known that just because there's so much shame around talking about it. And I think that with skin conditions so often, because we see so often in our media around sex positivity, quote unquote, perfect bodies, especially perfect skin. And that's not necessarily the case. And that's not necessarily reality for the majority of us. And I think that so often a lot of us are living in shame very quietly, if that makes sense yeah i you
1: know it's i've had a conversation with someone about this once where it's like you know I, as a photographer when i used to do weddings i i don't mind you know photoshopping a couple blemishes out because like that's fine um but there comes yeah. an extent when the expectation of like too much of that is, is is this morally right or ethical and then i know from experience myself included and i know others we we do that to ourselves in our own photos too But then I, my friend and I were talking about this recently, like if I was like having sex with someone and they had like a pimple on their butt, is that really going to ruin the whole thing for you? Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) And so like, you're right. There's like this, like, I think there's this expectation from society that we have this like perfect skin, but skin comes in such a variety of different differences and people
2: have accessibility around that. And it's, they're still beautiful. (laughs) Uh, and I mean, you know, I think the thing too, like, is learning to also work around it. Like, and it's not just, it's not always just, how do I put this, a looks thing. Like, example, uh, I did Kink Fest earlier last year's boot black, and I had a bump that was just, outrageous, And I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna out myself here uh, on my gooch of all places, which is just like the worst fucking place you could possibly wear it, um, and. I met someone who was just like an amazing impact top that I still play with this to this day. And I had to negotiate, like not going below the waist at all, like making sure like I'm playing safe and like being like, hey, this is what's going on and being able to disclose it Um, because it is important. There is a situation like example, like I've had a moment where like I've had like a bump on my butt. And someone takes a single tail and accidentally gets me like right on that bump. And then it becomes like 10 times more inflamed and they didn't know. um, That can cause some issues, but also at the same time, like being able to talk about it with ease and being able to say like, Hey, like, you know, uh, like if it ever comes up in conversation, just being able to be blunt about it, because there's been moments, like example with my partner uh, a few years ago, she had someone who she ended up hooking up with and Mm -hmm. afterwards they asked, you know, are these, she was like, no, they're not cigarette brands. And he was like, Oh, I was ready for this big trauma talk. I didn't realize like, it was a skin thing, like no big deal. Like, and it was no big deal legitimately. And that's how it should be. And honestly, I think it the biggest deal to us is that um, it's how we see ourselves and how, we mm-hmm. see ourselves because we're projecting to, other sense. we're projecting on what we see from other people in media
1: yeah, absolutely. I it's interesting you say that. So I, I got really reclusive over the last couple of weeks and was feeling super super insecure. And you know what? Like I actually met a really wonderful couple last night at a New Year's party and got to go home and be a unicorn. And when we got there I was like, by the way, I still have all of these like spots all over me and they're like, yeah, that's fine. It's psoriasis. It's no big deal. And I was like, oh, that that conversation is so much easier than I thought. They're like, yeah, like, and it it honestly didn't miss a beat. Like, nothing changed. And hopefully this condition will be temporary. One-third of people who get it, it does turn into a lifelong actual, what they call plexoriasis. But, you know, two-thirds of a chance it will go away. Um, But that also brings me back to, like, how it happened in the first place. And just a note for all of you out there in the queer world you got to kind of own your own health care to an extent when you're going to normal doctors, especially heterosexual, um, not queer based medicine. I mean, you know, obviously my fourth doctor I went to, she was able to figure it out in less than three minutes. But, you know, do without going down the Google route and diagnosing yourself. Coming to your appointments a little bit prepared and knowing what you need for your healthcare and telling your medical professional what it is you need so that they can take care of this holistic version of you and not just associate being queer with sex. The first doctor, STI testing, not a bad thing. But by the third doctor, like three rounds of STI testing in four weeks and everything came back negative. Like at what point do you, you know, check for something different? (laughs) Um, What the hell? Right, right, yeah, no, I got in- Yep, it's still a thing. I got into the dermatologist, and she figured it out in less than three minutes, and so <sighs> insane. Well, on that note, so we can keep the conversation going. So, thank you, everyone. Uh, definitely wanted to put a little thing in there about body positivity and skin yeah. stuff. So, thank you so much.
2: Do for you sharing. mind actually if I throw one more thing in on yeah. body positivity while we're there? So. Another thing that I think we don't talk about a lot too is just like the little differences in our bodies, especially like as someone who was very large, um, I have a lot of saggy skin and for quite a long time, like I, I never got naked. I think the first time I ever got like naked in public, like ever at like an, any event was Folsom in like 2019. Lifestyle for like years, just because I to see so many different bodies That it wasn't just what I saw on the internet. And I think that so often that we think, like, you know, this saggy little skin is going to, like, you know, make the difference of my partner and they're not going to, like, be interested in me. That's ridiculous when you really think about it. And if someone's that shallow and that vain, do you really want to be with them? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Or at least maybe see if you can take time to like have conversations and educate. Yeah,
2: um,
1: I always have a little patience too for like sometimes there's like the shock or people have been conditioned a certain way, because I've had initial reactions to things in the past when I've been exposed to things I wasn't sure of, that were kind of negative and I was maybe an asshole for a moment until I took time and space to like step back, learn, and then reapproach. Um, and so I try to have space for that too, for people, but you know what? It's not expected and it's not given and you know you don't just get that space from people. You could absolutely offend someone and that's the end of it. So be ready. <laughs> no,
2: that's totally, that's totally fair too. Um, and I, I think I just mean like, especially with like just like kind of like fat phobia yeah. um, and like former fat phobia, like, you know, with saggy skin, like I don't think anyone's really thinking about like saggy skin and if they are like i'm sure like a, you're right like a simple conversation would typically like be like oh okay like nbd yep so so for
1: our listeners for those who aren't familiar with the leather community tell me what's a boot black
2: oh man all right so boot black the best way i can put it think about it as somewhere between being like <laughs> an armorer for kinky people and being an erotic shoe shiner um so a boot black is someone who most often like have you seen like shoe shiners at airports oh yeah so think that but with like a more leather centric uh kind of twist to it um so for myself i take care of more than just leather boots um and a lot of other boot blacks do as well like a lot of us take care of leather garments leather toys some of us take care of other items besides just leather honestly um So most of boot blacking is really centered around leather care um, and being able to, you know, care for someone either in the stand or at home. And there's a lot of different modalities of why someone might do that. And we can get into that a little bit later. Um, But for me, honestly, boot blacking is really about the time that I sit in the chair, if that makes sense. Yeah. Sitting in my chair, feet up. Because it's a very vulnerable space, but it's a space where people can be vulnerable safely, where it's just like a box, especially inside of an event where like, you need like a second to decompress and like people open up about a lot of their history, especially because let's face it, our shoes carry us everywhere. There's a lot of stories behind the dirt and grime in our boots. I love that. And It's interesting you say the erotic
1: side of it, too. I remember when I was like, I think I was like 18, 17 or 18 years old. And I had some boots on and I'd never had shoes shined before ever in my life. And I was just going to see my parents and I was transferring in the Denver airport and there was a shoe shiner there. And I had my shoes shined by this really cute man. And I remember being so turned on and there, the, I felt this sexual tension that I felt like was not supposed to be there, but it was, and it was just, this, and I've
2: never forgotten that experience. <laughs> it's sexy. Like, I mean, I've, I, I think honestly, some of my sexiest scenes I've had have been in the chair and uh, there's often like a notion because it's like often seen as service that it's just submissive um it really depends on the boot black and it really depends on the person in the chair and what their dynamic is um you know i've been a top in the chair i've been a bottom in the chair and i've you know been neutral and just cared for someone um boot is this really like very interesting experience and being able to like really feel someone's second skin and care for it it's very it's definitely sexual to a degree and it's definitely erotic and intimate because you were really having this level of not just trust of how someone's touching you, but it's a constant negotiation. Can I touch this? Can I unlace this? Is it okay if I move this? Is it okay, you know, if I touch You have to be constantly thinking about how you're approaching someone, how you're touching someone and like making sure at all times that you are also being attentive to this person. And of course their leather. Um, it is a very, I don't know. It's one of the most fulfilling energetic things I think I've ever done in my life, to be honest.
1: I love that. Yeah. You're going
2: to, you're going to hate what
1: cringe when I say this, but I just, I need to take better care of my gear. I don't have nice leather gear yet. But like, I have a drawer that all my neoprene and harnesses and kink fetish wear just all goes in the drawer.
2: (laughs) That's totally okay. But I mean, again, like, I will never shame someone for what they wear or how they take care of their gear or anything like that. Because we, we all do everything differently. And we all have a unique way of doing things. And if we all did things exactly the same, that would be fucking boring. Um, And it wouldn't leave space for, honestly, like needing a boot black when that time comes, when you're ready and being like, hey, Viper, can you take care of my boots? Can you help me with my neoprene hood? Like in a heartbeat. But like, I get it. Like, that's not what a lot of people are really focused on. Like, it's very much like a spiritual activity or like a mental exercise. And for a lot of people, like it's it's work. And it's not fun. And I get that. Um, for a lot of people, topping <laughs> is not fun, and I get that too. Um, <laughs> we all have different modalities, and that's just the truth. So, you know, there's no shame in that at all.
1: Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, you talked about hoods for a second, so it's a really good segue. Uh, you have a lot of different animals, but the one I, I know you as and see so you identify with the most is the cow. The um cow. Tell me about your cow self. We've really just had pups on here. I've actually gotten feedback from one of the viewers that they were hoping I would talk about another animal like kitties. And let's just skip kitties and go straight to one I think most haven't seen anyone do before, which is cow.
2: Absolutely. So um, my cow, Cece, um, which stands for cow cunt, um, you can thank my mistress for that one, um, is my of uh, my cow. And my cow comes from a lot of different places. but. Like, for me, especially, typically when I wear, like, I'm typically wearing a hood that is made from leather and cow fur. Um, And typically, I'm also wearing a lot of leather with it, too, just because for me, it's about kind of connecting to the animal and the animal's headspace and the actual material itself. Um, And also, there's a lot, especially around motherhood that has always like very much connected me around cows. Like cows are very symbolic about being able to like care for the world environment and like be able to give back to other people in their, their villages, their communities around them. And that to me has always been very inspiring. Um, So God, there's so much to say about the cow. Um, So I discovered the cow a few years ago when I was living in Las Vegas. And... I had always looked at like i don't know if your listeners might be already know this if they're familiar with who cow which stands for human cow uh type porn which typically involves um lactation using milking devices whether that's on the genitals or like on the breasts um and typically like it's very like kind of submissive based however it does not based like you can do your own thing and i'm a switchy cow what can i say moo Um, I will totally headbutt you if you touch me the wrong way. (laughs) Um, What's the saying from the breakfast clubs? Uh, You mess with the bull, you get the horns.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I just experienced getting milked like a couple weeks ago for the first time. It was an interesting one. Um, Genitals, of course. Um, (laughs) Yeah. uh, But it was quite a submissive role. And it wasn't in a cowhead space by any means. Um, Well.
2: And that's the thing, like, it, it, it can be so gender diverse, too, because you can, like, let's say, like, you're approaching it from, like, a cis male way, and, like, you want to be, like, bull, like, you could totally do, like, a scene where, like, you are, like, taking a flashlight and trying to collect their semen, like, or, like, you know, as a trans woman, like, I like getting my dick milked, like, that to me is, like, a really hot scene, but I also like having my breast milked um there's just a lot of different modalities to it and i think that so often we put it in this box especially with just like fems and don't recognize where like masculine energy and like bovine energy can like connect if that makes sense oh yeah totally
1: i i i personally never felt bovine but that's just because i i really do identify as a pup like it it the to me it's always been um more about pack dynamics for me personally is really where I get my rocks off and the bonding with other people um, and other pups in this, like, nurture. We're running as a pack, but I will listen and behave, but I will also bark and bite and tell someone to behave. Um, so bovine hasn't really been one that I've uh, experienced yet, but I could see myself playing with bovine as a pup. And that's been one of my favorite things with pet play. Oh. It's not just about, like... How I interact with other pups it's how I interact with other animals like other people's animal personas too because like I can't seem to play well with cats and I don't know if it's a dog thing but it's just the person no cats are just
2: standoffish yeah well I'm kidding, also... I'm kidding I'm kidding I'm kidding to my cat friends I'm kidding
1: <laughs> everyone's different um but the few cats that I've hung out with uh there is that whole knock things off the counter. Like they really embody that just to do it. And oh, I mean, you're going to love this story. So actually, yeah. Uh, I was playing with someone a couple weeks ago and we were talking. And they, they were, you know, telling me about their pup side and they've experimented a little. And they were really torn because they feel this like drawn canine energy. And they also feel this like super strong feline energy. And they happen to have a bunch of cats. And so I sent them a picture of Nickelodeon's cat dog. And oh I was God. like, you know, this is a persona I've never seen anyone do before. And why not? Like, if that's... And so if, if cat dog does make its way into the Portland scene, I'm taking full
2: responsibility for this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it might happen. I mean, and who knows? And I think that's kind of the beautiful thing about pet play is that we are kind of able to kind of dip in and out of these headspaces, And, like, even for myself... Um, I don't think I've actually ever told like anyone outside my immediate family this, but like I have my own dog persona, um, um, and maybe one day you'll get to meet Pop Cerberus. Who knows, Hound Cerberus? I'm sorry, um, but like being able to dip in and out of these headspaces—they give us different things, they give us different goals, they give us different dynamics. There's so much to it. Like for me, like being in like Hound headspace being Hound Cerberus um, it allows me to be a little bit more dominant a little bit more alpha than like my cow headspace is CC Um, it's just a different flavor sometimes if that makes sense and it's just what we choose for it to be and what we want out of it I love that I you know speaking
1: of headspaces I do want to dive into something on your experience which is not a headspace It's, it's who you are and I'm just going to ask, so what is it like being a trans individual in the pet play community?
2: So I would say, first off, I want to say probably the pet play community so far for me personally has been probably the most accepting, probably most like authentic and like loving scene I think I've experienced, like especially here in Portland. um, I was really surprised because I think like going into a new scene I'm always a little cautious like especially like initially like i always, i saw like a lot of pups and i'm like you know i'm thinking like well what about cows and like with time like as i would start to talk to like some of the pups like i would meet like other people too who are like otters and cats and um god I, I like i'm just trying to pull out like everyone that i met but like seeing that majority like you don't know that you're also valid until, like, someone, like, connects with you. And, like, we have to fight for our own space, of course. But PDX Paw, like, especially, has always made me feel very welcome. Um, and I just love that. Because, honestly, I, I'm t- I typically feel very welcome wherever I go. But it was one of those moments where I saw the diverseness, especially in gender, of that group. And I was like, okay, like, I feel okay here being a trans Female um, and being a cow of all things, too. <laughs> um, you know, I think everyone's going to have a different experience, and I can't speak for all trans individuals, obviously, um, but the pet play community, not just in Portland, but in general, I think has always been very accepting, if that makes sense, because we're always dealing with, um, how do I put this, atypical things, and we're dealing with new things, and we have to be open to new ideas. Um and I think that honestly I would say that I would say actually the large majority of people I've met in the pet play community are either typically honestly like somewhat masculine leading or outright non-binary gender queer, come to think of it. Yeah, I,
1: I would have a similar experience um with, with dabbling in the paw. Um I do have a question for you from yeah. a, a trans perspective. So there is a huge push and for the best reasons in the world right now for inclusivity. Um, but something I'm noticing in my experience is when is it okay to form an event or a space for a certain group of people who want to feel space with like-minded individuals where you want to make it exclusive to an extent so that those, so those folks have like a, an exclusive safe space Versus when it's not okay. Um, I'm curious what your, your perspective is on that. Because, yeah. like, I have noticed, like, sometimes, like, if I wanted to have, like, maybe a spicy event with just pups, I, it's not that I have any issue with, with cats or ponies or cows or anything. There's just a very specific scene we're trying to make. Um, and then it can actually come off in the wrong way and send the wrong signals. And I have really struggled with how to navigate this.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I don't think there's a perfect answer for this. Um, like some spaces, like I, I completely understand why they are insular. Like it is really important for like example, like BIPOC bunches, like that's really important to be able to have that community building in that safe space, to be able to like have a place to be able to collaborate and vent and be able to work out just feelings around the mutuality, Mutuality, is that a word? If yeah. it's not, I just made it up. It but, like, now. Not, for, like, myself, like, um, I feel very isolated as a Jewish person in Oregon. I do. Um, I don't feel discriminated against or not very openly, which feels nice. But I would love to be able to have, like, an insular space for Jewish people. And, like, example, like, if I did, like, let's say, like, a Jewish kinky munch, um, I would love to open it up maybe, like, once or twice a year to, like, other folks and be like, hey, you know come on in, come meet us, let's build some allyship. Um, And there's a way to do it. Like, so example, like with like pet play, like if you want to do like a pup only event, I think there's a way to say like, you know, this is a pup event, you know, maybe in the future, we'll do some more like pet inclusive events, but this one is a little bit more geared towards specifically pup type play. I think that's okay, especially like if you're doing a private event, um an example like if you're doing like a all male space um that can be like a difficult one because there has been issues before in the past with like inclusivity of like example like trans men and like like gay spaces let's face it there there is a problem yeah. with it, even to this day mm-hmm. um and honestly I, I i just to be blunt like we we need to go by the identify Identifyingness of, like, mask or femme, Um, I really can't speak for, like, my non-binary siblings on, like, what's the best way to handle this situation for them, just because, honestly, I can't say that I have their experience and I I don't have their knowledge, but, like, for me, like, if, like, someone says that they're a femme-inclusive event, but trans people, like, trans femmes aren't allowed or trans women aren't allowed, like, I will feel weird about that. That will feel bad. I... Couldn't agree more with this <laughs> yeah. because honestly, it, it really is. And this is just me personally like, it's about the energy. Like, I enjoy feminine energy, I enjoy masculine energy. Like, even, like, even I don't like, example, like if you're not into trans women, I'm not going to be offended if you're at a fem event. Like, if you are a like cis female who are not into trans femmes and like because like you're just not into penis, like that's okay. Like, I'm not going to be offended at all. Like, that's your taste. Like, but if you tell me I'm not welcome here, that's a different story, if that makes sense. That's what I
0: needed. Thank you. No, I really appreciate that. I've really struggled because, uh, we have a bathhouse here called Steam and we have two, another one called Hawks PDX. Uh, and both of them have decided to run their zoo night and pup night on the same night once a month. Um, And it's so interesting because where PDX Paw is very inclusive for all genders and everybody, um, they called it a pup night, where Steam decided to call theirs a zoo night, but Steam is a men's only establishment. But the part that hurts my heart with Steam is like, I'm queer and I'm not really attracted to female presenting individuals Mm -hmm. um, or feminine, usually. Uh, it has nothing to do with genitals. Like to me, if it's a men's only event, like trans men should absolutely be allowed there. Absolutely. And I, and I actually get confused when I see like trans women there at a men's only event just because their driver's license has that on their driver's license. And it, it it's just such a confusing dynamic. And I've been really struggling with the morality of this event. And if it's one I want to go to or not.
2: Well, and I can't speak to it because I haven't I haven't seen I do know that Hawks, from what I've heard, is very inclusive, or at least like is a lot more inclusive than like a lot more bathhouses are. Um funny enough, just side note, I have my mistress in a bathhouse of all places. Um I think that I think that we do need to be a little bit more inclusive when it comes to like pops or pets. And I'm not saying anything like bad against like, anyone. Like, I think it's all just a learning moment, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it's brand... Let's face it, like, there are more pups than pets. Let's face it. Like, how many... Like, between, like, pups any like, cats and cows and all that together, like, you're still gonna have more pups. And that's just the truth. But at the same time, like, we still need to learn to be inclusive. So, I mean, the same thing could be going for gender, too. Like, You know, you need to understand, like, yes, while the majority of people here might be, like, cis male presenting, like, we still need to include trans men, like, and be more inclusive about it where we can. It definitely is confusing hearing, you know, I don't, I don't know how to feel fully. And I think I need to sit and think and form my feelings about, like, having trans femmes at a male night, just because we have like, AMAB genitalia. I, I think I have to think about that more yeah. to, like, really, like, disseminate on that. And that's that's me just, like, admitting, like, my own, like, I need to think about that more. <laughs> that,
0: no, I really appreciate that answer. And I, yeah, I don't absolutely. have answers. It's something I've been kind of, like, trying to really sit with myself and understand. So I appreciate you taking the time to answer that. Yeah, um, well,
2: honestly, that's why we got to talk about it as a community, like, because... Not everyone is going to have the answer. And I think that the only way that we can find a good answer is if we collaborate together.
0: Oh, I love that. And yeah. I probably said I love that a lot on this episode, but no, I, okay. adore, I adore the shit out of you. You're such a I fucking love you. <laughs> You're such an amazing yeah. human being. Um, <laughs> I want to circle back to you were talking about consent earlier when someone's in the chair, and there's so yeah. much. When I meet you, uh, I just I, I've just not seen another human being who's so forward about asking permission as often and as direct as you do. And it's a skill. Um, and, you know, sometimes people with that skill, I also find I will fall into trusting them, especially if they have an alpha personality. And then I will go along with it. And the scene is going great. It's negotiated. And I will still leave the end of that scene feeling a little icky once I'm able to digest everything that just happened. And it feels almost manipulative. So how do you, like, being in this, in sex education, like, keep an eye out for manipulative behaviors and identify
2: those? Eggs. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really good question honestly you got to look for yellow flags and honestly behavior that toes line on like gray boundary breaking if that makes sense
0: um, yeah i've never heard that term before please tell me more i
2: love this yeah no honestly and this is me just like pulling that term out of my ass but um i had an experience with someone and um I t- they were like oh shit i didn't realize that i potentially broke a boundary or at least like kind of grade that area so, for me, like, it is a hard fast, like, do not purposely scar me or purposely, like, brand me. Like, that's, like, very exclusive to my mistress. Um, and that's actually, like, in our contract. Like, that's very serious to me. Um, and we were doing a scene, and I had some rope burn. Um, and the rope burn actually left some pretty bad scarring. And it wasn't a huge deal because it was an accident, but the conversation afterwards was like, hey, this was a little bit of like kind of touching a gray area of my boundaries. And he was like, oh shit, like I really fucked that up. I'm so sorry. Like, let me fix this. And like, we were able to like fix that and talk it out. I think so often, even though we're communicating upfront, things happen in scene that definitely change. And it's important to be able to like, quickly talk that out or talk that out even if it's not quickly, I'm so sorry. let me repeat that. Talk that out when you're in the right headspace and you're in the right space to do it because if you do it from a place where you're heated, um, so often that can go negative. and ultimately most most consent violations truly come from a miscommunication um, and not anything malicious. I would say anytime that I had my consent violated, It really was out of, like, dumbness, if that makes sense. Like, and I hate to say that, like, but it goes, like, it's a moment where afterwards you talk to them, you go, did you realize you did this? And they went, oh, my God, I didn't realize I did that. I didn't mean to grab, you know, example, like, a cane and hit you with it. But I'm so sorry, like, that I grabbed that cane. I didn't realize it was a trigger. Like, I know we talked about it. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I'm a little. Cool. If that happens once. Nope. It happens two or three times there's an issue like a real issue if that makes sense like if that area like gray area keeps getting crossed manipulation there yeah um,
0: absolutely well yeah. i do want to throw in there too where you said no problem and that's no problem for you if for any viewers if that's a big problem for you off of the first time then that's very valid and also very valid as well
2: <laughs> yeah so, and, I, uh, and let me let me restate that too for like your listeners like everyone has a different threshold of like when they're willing to like resolve like a consent violation if that makes sense and that really is up to them and it it depends on their trauma it depends parties like reactions like if that makes sense um and even if it feels like it needs to be dealt with because there's been moments where i've been like like this is such a small issue like we can talk about it like if up, but otherwise, like, <laughs> if that makes yeah, sense, I, like,
0: I heard a phrase once, I can't credit where I heard this, um, but they had made an analogy that in the kink world, or the, the you know, when you're just out having sex, to think of it kind of like when you, you have people playing soccer, yeah. that like, if you have kids out on a soccer field, and you're the coach, it, it's not a matter of like, saying no one's ever going to get an injury or sports injury like it's going to happen at some point that doesn't mean though that you don't try everything in your power to prevent it from ever happening and but you have to be ready for when those injuries happen and kind of have a game plan and a headspace and support system so that you know how to react and what you're going to do when they happen and so for anybody who's getting into the scene like i you know some consent violations that i've experienced you know a couple years ago would have been devastating but because i've like taken the time to do work and have therapy and friends and have conversations like this i'm able to like pause and be like you know what i learned something here i didn't like it i don't think that was malicious but now i know for next time and now they know for next time yeah. and i think sometimes too we forget to tell the person i think yeah. sometimes a lot of times people are like they're actually worried about hurting that because they know it was a miscommunication. So they don't want to like hurt that other person because like sometimes it does hurt that other person to let them know like, hey, this happened. And I don't think you intended for this to happen. And that that individual can also be devastated by this situation. But it's important because they have to learn from it just as much as you do so that like you can prevent those injuries.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that we always should be informed, especially about, like, how we can better communicate with each other. Um, I think that so often, especially in these moments, like, that's why I'm like, hey, pump the brakes before you have this conversation and make sure you're in a stable place. Um, Because honestly, it's, for a lot of people, it's very hard to advocate for yourself. Um, And especially when you've been traumatized, it can be very difficult to re-traumatize yourself talking about it with that person. And so often you know and i'm talking in a case where it was clearly a mistake on the other person's end that person is going to want to know they fucked up and that person is going to want to know where they can better themselves and how they were you typically even if you don't continue to play with them they want to know how they can in the future be a better top better bottom and let's face it like consent violations can also happen in any role Um, a bottom can absolutely cross the top's line. Like it's something to remember too. And honestly, that's why I really try to stress to people to really, really vet your people. It doesn't matter if they're top, bottom, dominant side, like just fucking vet your people because you just don't know, like you don't know what is in someone's past. And like, that can like save you a lot of grief. Even if you just search their name on like fat life, like just do that like anything like try to talk to three people if you can otherwise like there there are methods but don't not that your people that that's one of the biggest things that i have to like tell friends who honestly get hurt is it's typically they played with someone they didn't vet well enough if that makes sense
0: well it makes complete sense because then i'm going to rewind back into gay culture for a minute yeah you know for the first all through my 20s i could order dick like ordering a pizza And it was so inhuman at times. Um, And that part of it, which is so bizarre to me, because I do identify as like, I have a lot of demisexual qualities to me. The joke I say with my friends is like, I need to know the plot of a porno in order to come to it. Like, I need to know. I need to know why they're fucking like you could skip to the penetration and the cum shot and it's not going to do anything to me unless I know that like they met at a pizza parlor and they're in the back and like it's his boss or something in the fantasy. Like I need to know. Um, (laughs) But also like I've also been able to, that doesn't mean I haven't had my quick like, I have a human need and I'm gonna jump online and find another human with another human need and make something happen. Um, But I think the difference is, is if you're gonna jump into a full scene with someone that you don't know and the danger and recognizing the danger in that.
2: That's the thing too. And I I, I hate to be so dark about it. Um, A few years back in my home state, we actually had a title holder, um, Mark Lutansky, um, who actually found someone off, I believe it was, and I'm, I'm so sorry, don't quote me on this, but it was, I believe maybe grinder or fat life., um, but he killed this person. Um, and, and like there was probably no vetting going on, like, and this could have been prevented. Like I, I just feel like so often we take people at face value. And we don't actually get to know the people in our community. And sometimes we make really bad decisions by playing with these people. And even though they are a big trusted person, do you really know them? If that makes sense, like, do you really know this person? Like before you jump into bed with them? Um, I just think that there's a lot to consider, like, especially around like hookup culture, like, and even for myself, like exactly kind of what you said, like in my early twenties, like, you know, I could just hop on Grinder and like, instant dick delivery right like that's easy um but is it safe is it safe to like just jump in and do it and like that's no shame on anyone that does it because i've definitely done it before um but after like hearing that story and like realizing and seeing it from a member of my own community um it makes me really rethink the way that i really know people especially on an intimate level
0: Thank you for sharing that. And I'm sorry you had to experience something like that in your community. That's tragic. Um, And it definitely puts in perspective safety. And that brings me, and safety is such a subjective thing because like all of us will talk in the world. Like we love the book, The Ethical Slut. If you haven't read it, I recommend reading it. it. It's like my favorite book in the world. I have one gripe with that book. And it was the first kink, sex positive book I ever read. So the first time I read it, it became a fucking Bible. And I took every word in that book as if it was the word of God and she was amazing. But the, as you do with all learning, you start getting more and more perspective and learning, having your own experiences. And I have one piece of feedback for that book is she stresses safe sex in what she views as safe sex to a point where it feels almost judgmental if you're not doing it in the way she views as safe. And I do think there's something about, if you it, it's about recognizing the risk and owning it instead of just going in blind. If you're going to do something that it's a little bit risky, you just have to be ready to be like, I am making this decision
2: and I yeah. am accepting the risk of this decision before it happens. And well, I think that's the important part. Well, and especially in S and M like nothing we do is inherently safe. We're fucking hitting each other half the time. Um, We can only be safer and saner about it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And honestly, that's why I've always ran by rack, like, being risk-aware in how I do my kink, because realistically, like, anything can happen, but you should be prepared for the worst. But, like, it's never... There's always room for error, and that's the one thing we need to realize. Like, that's why I say safer, saner. Like, when we talk about SSC, like, it really is... It's never going to be perfect. Things are always going to happen. Mistakes can totally happen. Even if, like, example, like, even if you've tied someone a 100 times over, maybe that day, for whatever reason, you tied it a little too tight and it sat on a nerve a little bit too long and it pinched a nerve a little bit too long and they didn't, like, your bottom didn't speak up. Like, there's a possibility for nerve damage. And, like, that's not because you were malicious or anything like that. But, again, miscommunication. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I think that's what we need to really like focus on is really like, what is your level of safe? Um, So um, one of my boot black and mentors here in Portland, boot black column I know is actually currently writing a class on specifically playing and partying, um, which I think is really important because, you know, play and party is a really big thing, especially in our culture. And it's very like hush hush, which to me makes no sense that we go hush hush about it because like i understand like if you don't want people playing your partying at your play parties that's fine they're still gonna do it at home they're still gonna do it in private hookups but we can at least give people the information to arm themselves if that makes sense
0: mm-hmm.
2: i mean it, to me like hiding the tough discussions under the rug isn't helping our community it's hurting our community more than anything
0: yeah absolutely yeah um I just experienced my first time ever being tied up. I don't know if you got to see some of the photos from that. No. Um, <laughs> if you have a second, jump on my Instagram real quick and I will kind of explain the story. Yeah, so There's this photographer uh, down in Texas and he flew up here to tie me up to do Shibari. Uh, and it's great. I actually met one of his clients, um, and a couple other people have worked with him and I vetted him. Um, Oh, holy did- shit, that's hot. <laughs> uh, thank you. Um,
2: also, where did you get your knee pads?
0: He brought them with, yeah, it was interesting. Although hmm. I will say like his profile picture wasn't who I thought he was, but it was okay. Cause I got armed with that before he showed up, but he was actually like this really sweet man. Um, and I was able to communicate, but it's funny how you said the pinching and the nerve damage when I got tied up in Christmas lights. Those aren't LED lights. Those are like outdoor house Christmas lights, like uh. incandescent bulbs. And I got burned. Oh, no. <laughs> um. And it wasn't bad, but it was just being able to communicate. And we had a lot of fun. Um, and I wasn't gonna be edged in the video that we were gonna make. I was down to do some erect photos. Uh, But I I didn't really want to be edged. But in the moment when I was tied up, I learned something in all of this that arousal does not necessarily mean consent. And I've never experienced that before. Um, And everything's fine. Like we've had a conversation and I ended up allowing him to uh, edge me. Um, But I wasn't as into it, even though my body was physically into it. And it's something I want to explore more with another person someday Um, But it was just this huge learning experience. And they didn't do anything wrong. Like, everything in that scene was consensual. Um, I absolutely adore him. It was so much fun. And I learned a lot. And got some really fucking hot photos out of
2: it. They were really hot photos. I just saw them. Um, But I I hear you. I mean, because I've honestly, like, I had a scene a few years ago, kind of like that, where, honestly, like, someone slid their finger in, didn't have enough lube. Honestly, it it kind of inflamed a old fissure, and uh, kind of fucked up my sex life for a few years. Um, and I don't blame them. They didn't know. I didn't disclose that I had like issues with Fisher, like a, with a fissure from like years prior that wasn't fixed. Um, but I don't blame them for it if that makes sense because yeah. there that communication wasn't there, and. And let me just like restate this for like any listener that's listening. Like it, it is really important to have these conversations as, and I'm saying this as someone who honestly has been on both sides, who has made the mistakes as a top and and who has been hurt as a bottom um, to have these conversations and make sure you're having these conversations when you're in the right mental space, especially uh, because ultimately the goal really is not to, tell someone they did something wrong but really is to better them and to make sure that you can better the relationship if you can like if if you're never going to play with this person again fine totally fine but don't you want to like be able to like help a person like grow especially if it wasn't like a malicious act and in the case of like you know example like you getting burned with a light bulb like shit happens and also like with you getting edged like i've definitely had those moments where like i'm a little bit more aroused And, you know, I bring something into the play and afterwards I regret it because I was aroused, if that makes sense.
0: Yep. No, it does. There was actually another part of that, too, when we were videoing. He kept having me bark and growl. And when my barks and growls come up, that's only happened a couple times. Um, There's a pup here that I played with, Hawks, the very first time I ever made animal sounds and felt primal and it was a really special moment and those have only come out maybe one or two other times and so now this is a we're basically filming a porno and it's fantasy and so to be forced to have those come out after a couple times doing it in that scene i actually started feeling like almost violated a little bit i was like these are like really special this is a really special headspace for me for someone to be holding up a camera and then telling me to do it on command who's not my alpha. Um, And so that was something I learned in that, that too. That was really interesting. Um, Again, nothing wrong in it. Just like self-discovery, like, Oh, that can't be forced.
2: (laughs) Well, and even like talking about like creating content. um, Like, I think that so often, like there's like a piece of ourselves that we should kind of keep to ourselves, you know, like there are some things that are very special to us. Like, And I completely understand that because especially, like, you as a content creator, like, you put a lot of yourself out there. And when that happens, like, especially, like, in a situation like this, like, that's a piece of you, like, that you get to explore a little bit more and decide if you want to bring out into the world. And, like, that's something you're still figuring out and still, like, finding, like, a very, like, special space for, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like my mooing, like I just moo incessantly around my house all day. Like m- my poor, like family just all the time just moo, moo, moo. Um, but like for you, like that, that deep growl, like that, that is a deep, deep headspace. And like I understand that. Like it's definitely like one, like, did he know?
0: Uh, yeah, he could tell because. He was like, you keep, I remember him saying, he's like, you keep giving up. I was like, I would do it for like a good 10 seconds. And then I would completely fall out of headspace, like complete 180. And he would turn the camera off and he's like, why do you keep giving up? And in the moment I was like, I don't know, let's try again. So I was also encouraging, like, let's try again, let's keep going. And I couldn't figure out why I couldn't maintain this headspace until later. And I was like, actually what happened is Atlas, who was the pup on the last episode, saw the video and was like, hey, something I noticed in your videos when you were barking and growling, and he's like, your eyes looked like you were lying.
2: And yeah. I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, and honestly, like, um that's actually ironic because I, I keep talking about, like, kind of, like, how eyes, like, really, like, are kind of like the window to the soul, as we say. Um, Your eyes really, like, tell people what's going on more than anything else. Like, you can, like, stand and pose all you want, but, like, you know, what you show on your, like, in the expression of your eyes really is, like, how you're feeling at that moment. And people can see that really easily, if that makes sense.
0: It does. That's actually the number one feedback I get on the content I create is the expressions that I make through my eyes. And it's actually why I use the half muzzle and wear it the way I do. Even though you can still see eyes in a full muzzle, um, my eyes are my favorite gift that my mom gave me.
2: (laughs) Yeah, same.
0: (laughs) And I feel very expressive through my eyes. And it's been, so yeah, to hear Atlas notice that was a a really interesting thing. And a little update on Atlas from the last episode for viewers uh cooper atlas whoever you want to call him is now going to be my roommate on that gay cruise so (laughs) shortly after that episode ended my roommate who i didn't know who i got matched up with for the cruise actually bailed out and cooper was looking for a room anyway and so now cooper's actually going to be my roommate on the cruise next month which i'm hoping i will have clear skin
2: for by the time (laughs) that starts and hey if you don't like whatever you're still fucking hot
0: Oh, thank you.
2: Yeah, and, like, that's something to remember. Like, again, like, you know, how many other people on that cruise are dealing with their own body positivity issues and their own skin issues?
0: You know, it's, it's interesting, too, is, like, Atlantis is very open in all of their communication and their marketing, um, and because there's a lot of, like, groups on Facebook and Telegram and WhatsApp. Yeah. Uh, it's like a big gay summer camp, and the staff that's in there constantly is, like, Hey, please remember that, like, the stuff you see online, like, half of that is marketing. They do try to include, they've been a little bit more aware of trying to include more body positivity yeah. um, in their stuff. But there's like, there's 5,500 gay men on a boat. Like, there's literally someone, something here for everybody. Like, n- there's just not that many people who are like what you would consider the traditionally hot, which is, and it's, and it's interesting too, because that goes both ways and actually brings me to another. Segue I wanted to talk to you about is we really wanna make space for people with accessibilities. We really wanna make space for people who maybe have different sized bodies than what we would consider conventionally hot. But something that I am also learning right now is there's also a negative energy sometimes in these spaces towards people who are what you would consider conventionally hot, or people who are what we would see in the media And without even getting to know these people, there's, like, I've seen it in the kink community, almost this, like, negative reaction to those body types, too. Because I even was in a chat not too long ago, and they were, like, neurotypical people this, and normies that. And I, like, paused, and I was, like, that's derogatory. Like, that's not okay. Like, you don't know these
2: people. Well, and it's it's a shame to hear that because like as someone who is neurodivergent and who is formerly a very large person I lived most of my life as very close to 400 pounds until I was about 25 years old. And so often like I have felt like my experience as someone who lived as a, in a fat body and, and still feels like they live in a fat body, um, it gets erased very often and it's a shame because honestly even with like unconventional like your conventional hot bodies like again who says that they are conventionally hot and like right you be shamed because of that like for me like it it was a really big feat to be able to make the, my body of what i wanted it and like there's no shame in that like none like all bodies are gorgeous and i think that when people start to stigmatize like other people's bodies like even if they are like not you know what it feels like a teardown honestly it, it really does, does. Um, yeah.
0: i actually had an individual so i started a discussion in the chat and i had an individual reach out to me and they met they met well um but they were like oh it's so great to see a neurotypical person uh willing to have these conversations and you know have deep conversations and they were they were trying to thank me for starting the conversation yeah and in that compliment it was also kind of backhanded because like you said I felt like my experience was erased and I replied to them and I said you know some accessibilities are invisible yes And, and I have to take four medications a day to manage my mental health. I have a really serious, I struggle with my ADHD um, and I have depression. I've had a hell of a year and at the peak of COVID, I was about 300 pounds and have spent most of my life in an overweight body and have been fat shamed. And I've done a lot of work to be where I am now in a space that I want to be, that I consider healthy for myself. But that doesn't mean that I don't understand. I mean, I will never understand someone's individual experience, but please don't erase mine. No.
2: Um, <laughs> well, and the thing too, like, and it, and it feels very difficult, to, like, get like convey this through. And I almost wish I could like scream it at the people who who make these assumptions. When you make assumptions about people who like are what you would call skinny, like you don't know that they haven't lived in a large body. And, like, because I lived in a large body, I have a I have a lot of medical issues, honestly. Like, I have a knee that honestly gives out on me occasionally. Like, I have broken discs in my spine because of how I sat, because of the just compressed weight, because of falling. And people erase that, and it feels difficult to, like, have these conversations and make people realize, like, I, I wish people understood that this is something that you, that stays with you, especially like I will never not feel sometimes like I'm in a fat body because my whole life I took up bigger spaces. My whole life, I took up the entire theater seat. You know, when I think about it now, like that was a constant experience that, was very difficult for me and I wanted to escape that experience be not because of societal but because I was uncomfortable in my body. And if you're comfortable in your body in a larger body, fuck yeah. Larger bodies are fucking hot. And typically I go for larger bodies, but for myself that just I wasn't comfortable where I was and there shouldn't be any shame in that at all and it shouldn't be erased my what I've dealt with as a large person who is now skinny like because of my time spent like there are issues, there are broken, there are formerly broken bones, there are, like, broken discs, like, and it just feels ignored a little bit, and, like, erased.
0: Yeah. that It's, another segue is, like, this is something I've been feeling, too, as I try to grasp my privilege of being a cisgendered queer man who's masculine-presenting and white, there's a lot of privilege that comes along with that. However, I am still queer. Like I still have had to face the challenges of being gay in rural areas of America, not Portland, and bullied and being physically beat up by kids as a kid and, you know, losing family members forever and the risk of losing jobs like and sometimes when I'm having conversations with people and I am trying to acknowledge my privilege, and I'm going into it. This is digging for bones. Like, I sometimes feel like that part of my experience gets completely erased just because I have the privilege of being able to hide it for safety reasons if I wanted to, which I do understand I have the ability to do that. However, like, like there's, there's still all of this stuff. That doesn't mean that, like, there's not people out there who are at a disadvantage in the, the world that society has created And I need to, you know, step up in my position. And, you know, I learned this when we were doing the Oregon leather competition. I had so many people. I don't know if I ever told you this, but halfway through. Oh, by the way, Lady Viper was also in that competition. Um, (laughs) And I had so many people come up to me and they're like, you better be ready to answer all these questions about trans this, trans that. How are you supporting trans because of the judges being trans? And I, at one point, I felt so like is this right? Because like when I was reading white fragility, there was this whole thing about white savior complex and like the importance of stepping up and stepping aside and lifting other people's voices, but not stepping in front of like not, it's not my fight and it actually just perpetuates like white male privilege to like step in with, I have a plan and this is what I'm going to do to save the day. And like, that's not at all what you're supposed to be doing as an ally And, (laughs) and so, and it's just been this interesting thing, like, and everything right now in our world, and I don't have answers, but I'm glad we're having the conversation. Yeah. It's just like, we need to not erase people's experiences. And this like, who's the biggest victim card? Because I do think in the LGBTQ plus on all of the letters of the alphabet community, something that's kind of a negative in squishing all of these letters together is each of those letters is an individual experience that doesn't necessarily understand the other letter next to it. We know our identity, we know our struggles, but we need to be an ally for each other. And like, I think it's important to step up and be an ally and lift those of trans voices. But also I would have no problem asking a trans person, like, how are you lifting voices of like a deaf person, a gay person of color? who is also in our community, who is at disadvantages. And like, what are you doing to elevate their voices? And like, we need to be allies for each other across the board.
2: Absolutely, and I think that's the thing. I think, like example, like there, and I hate to say it, like, because society has kind of put us in this, like fucked up, like racial and like gender and honestly ability um, and economical, like every every possible like factor has like a hierarchy to it in america and we really have to work together especially like as a community to uplift each other and we really need to try to flip this hierarchy on its head where we can and i think like especially as like example like like as yourself like this is just gay white male um there are ways that you can help without stepping in front but how you can help by volunteering in like lower like, positions of their organization, like, if they needed help, or, like, if that was even, like, accessible, because I understand, like, like inclusive spaces, and especially, like, insular spaces, like, exist for a reason, like, really to protect communities, and, like, I completely understand that, um, but there are definitely things that we can do and listen to each other, like, myself, like, as, like, a white person, um, I I really try to make that space to listen to especially like my BIPOC siblings, like or like my more visibly like how do I put this? I'm so sorry, I'm I'm trying to find the words and honestly I have my own (laughs) speech and language issues myself, which are hidden disabilities, but my my friends with disabilities, like how am I supporting them? Like how am I making sure like venues are accessible to them? Like how am I making sure that people aren't just treating them like shit? I will never fucking forget um at international mr leather last year trying to leave with my friend who is a wheelchair user and having in a sea of gay men like having to be like guys i need you to move and having someone purposely bring their boot down on my toe like on my toe cap to say fuck you to me because i was asking them to move to make space for my friend so he could get to the elevator this is colin this is colin yeah, I've actually had an experience like this with Colin that is like, I'm like, just thinking about it because it's just like, like, all you have to do is fucking move. Like, I'm not asking you to, like, do anything else but move. Like, and I, I'm so sorry. I, I need a second. It just because honestly, like, that experience, like, I feel like it really shattered the illusion of, like, how accepting this community is. Like, I've been very, very, very lucky. Like, as, like, a cis, trans, white, Jewish... Did I just say cis? I'm stoned. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely not cis. As a trans, white, Jewish person, like... um, And I'm so sorry. I'm a little worked up after, like, reliving that a little bit. You're good. Um, Like, this illusion that we're all hunky-dory when truth is there are hidden racism. There is hidden racism. There is hidden bias. There is hidden issues with like, you know, people being, you know, secretly against like women's rights and like secretly against like a lot of bullshit things. Like, and we have to work together, especially for our friends who are in like positions of like extreme disadvantage um, in our society to uplift them. Because honestly, like, especially as a member of the LGBTQ community, like so many of us have different ranges of, Privilege, honestly, we do. We're interdispersed. We come from all races, ethnicities, backgrounds, abilities. Um, but there are more factors at hand. But being a part of this larger community, we need to understand that we do need to support like cer- like certain people and certain groups a little bit more um, thoughtfully. Because honestly, in a society that wants to tear apart the LGBTQ community and especially targets, very specific people like trans people, people of color. We need to make sure that we are really, really standing not aside, but behind them um, and supporting them where we can. And when those moments happen, having someone come protect you. um, I want to put out there too, as I've, I've actually been this person before.
0: So I, was at Eagle and it was actually the first, the second time I ever went to a pup event, or maybe it was the first time I ever went to a pup event. Um, and I was standing out back and it was very crowded. And I don't, I actually don't have very good hearing. And I was communicating with a, a friend who happens to be deaf um, and I don't know how to sign. So we were very intensely trying to communicate with each other. And it's through like text messages and a lot of body language which when you're trying to communicate like that, it's very easy to tune out everything around you. Um, And Colin was actually trying to get through and was behind my friend who's deaf. Um, And then finally he got through and was like, let's just like scream, move the fuck out of the way. And I was so like shocked by it. And I tried to approach them later that night. It was such a good lesson for me because I was like, hey, I just want to apologize and explain like, what had happened there and they were like no like you know just be you need to be a better person and just walked away and it it wrecked me for like weeks i could not let that go um until i finally did let it go because i'm not owed anything in that experience and having you just share that a story about like what happened to international mr leather brings so much context to like what it must be like to have to experience that all the time and like that's yeah it's, it's difficult just, I, mean, I bet
2: well and in that space too i mean I, I mean being being a trans female is already difficult enough and like telling these people to get the fuck out of my way like some got it immediately but i will never forget the fucking eye rolls i got like right at the home stretch of like getting to where i needed to go and it, it it really was a little bit of a heartbreaking moment and it, it really made me realize like why we need to have these conversations and not, not stigmatize people for it. Um, a quick side note, um, in terms of stigmatization, this, I, I will have to say that I think that some of the biggest mistakes that I've made in terms of allyship, um, when I was first transitioning, um, I actually, And I'm very mad about this. But I came out the day after Caitlyn Jenner. Bitch stole my thunder. She came out the day before my 23rd birthday. Um, And I had to deal with a lot of navigating some really weird fucking questions. And uh, someone I actually worked with at the time um, actually asked one of the other people on my team um, about my genitals. And they told me about it. And instead of, like, approaching them being like, hey, this isn't really, like, a appropriate conversation at work. Like, we should have this off-site if you really want to have this conversation. I'm willing to answer these conversations, like, have this conversation to, like, inform you. Um, I instead screamed at this person and fired them in front of 50 people. And that person probably does not think very greatly of trans people unless another trans person has come into their life and tried to correct that so i potentially have now potentially created some sort of right winger honestly like that's my fear um there's a really really
0: really really great book on this stuff yeah Uh, it's called the savvy ally it's by cheyenne somerville um it's a guide for becoming a skilled lgbtq plus advocate and she is straight she's a straight cis woman who is a huge ally But she quickly, she's actually the one where I got the phrasing of, like, we need to be better allies for each other, too. Like, this book talks about exactly what you're talking about right there, about, like, you know, you're valid in your overreaction. However, you might cause harm um, in that reaction and that overcorrect can actually do more harm. Because sometimes people genuinely just, like, we're not in control of our experiences, but we are in control of our education, and we do need to make the conscious decisions to go out and educate ourselves. I have one friend too, like constantly, every time there's anything gay in media or something, I get a text. What do you think of this? Or uh, is monkeypox an anal sex thing? And I'm like, I am not your personal Google just because I'm your gay friend.
2: Um. <laughs> there's definitely like a line and you're allowed to draw that line on when you want to educate someone. But if you are going to educate someone, like make sure you're giving it from a place of like, like calm, calmness and groundedness because ultimately like i've that scene in my head like probably once a month and it hurts me because you know i don't think this person had necessarily malicious intent i think this person had no fucking clue what a trans person was um because it was very kind of new to the mainstream media to a degree in you know 2015 the day after you, you know ever
0: thought about reaching back out to them
2: I actually don't remember their name, which is the sad part. Unfortunately, um, in a former life, I worked with a lot of big teams. So unfortunately, I don't remember a lot of these people's names. Yeah. Um, But if I could, I definitely would, because I I definitely think about that daily. And I had a chance a few years ago, a friend of mine um, made a really, really off-color joke about Caitlyn Jenner and trans women And I approached him and I was like, hey, man, you're part of the leather community. You know, you're a cis, straight, white male making these jokes. Like, that's not really good community building. Like, and we actually were able to talk it out. And he went, oh, God, I feel kind of ugly. And that this day is, like, one of my biggest allies because you corrected him in a graceful manner. Ah,
0: this this episode can go on so long, but I do want to get this point into. I am all about humor, and I okay. understand that jokes sometimes expose the, the flaws in society, but where I draw the line is if you're an oppressor making jokes about the oppressed to yes. make money and to make more oppressors laugh, that's actually not
2: ethical. No, it's blood liable, and like Anson Jr., <laughs> like you know like i'm seeing this happen again and i see it even happening with like members of our own community where where i've seen members of our own community have teared down you know each other like i remember when um black lives matter first started to really take off how many people in the leather community showed their true colors and quickly also left because they weren't willing to say a statement as simple as black lives matter which, which is just fucking crazy to me but okay um like, and, and no one was forcing them to either. Like, no one was putting to their, a gun to their head and saying, you need to say, like, need to say that you support Black Lives Matter. They just came out and say, I don't support this, which is fucking crazy. Um, if that makes sense. Like, it what I'm trying to say. Like, like, a lot of the ugliest colors of people really came out then. And I think that in a way, like, it was helpful to let those people kind of go to the side. But there's so many moments, I think, that we could have, educated people better and i think that we could have built more allyship and i think that's part of the reason that we're at this huge divide in america i mean obviously because of right-wing programming but for myself like i look back on the way that i treated people like especially like the pre-trump years like who i thought were like ignorant um and they just weren't educated and i really regret that because honestly like i really could have built a lot more allies and I, i really do believe that the only way that we are going to survive as a community is through allyship because we can't do this alone we are a small population even if we are all out we are still a small population of people and we need to be able to have the support of the general public and have the support of our honestly straight white cis like majority like to be able to be safe, to be able to have laws that protect us pass. Like there's so much nuance into it. And like, I'm not saying that we need to kowtow, I'm never saying we need to kowtow to like, you know, like people's like, you know, don't be so like famine trans or like, don't be so like loud and like black, like that's bullshit. Um, but we need to be able to be more thoughtful on the way that we approach people and more grounded on the way that we correct them. Because if we don't, we're just going to keep creating a cycle of, honestly, like people who don't want to try to repair this relationship with us. And like, maybe, and so often, maybe you are the only trans person they come into contact with, um, or the first person. First impressions do matter. And I hate to say that, but unfortunately, like, You and I know that they don't, but there are people out there, especially who are sheltered, um, who just take that one time that they met a gay person and they hold on to it for a lifetime, if that makes sense. It
0: does. And for the sensitivity of time of the episode, um, I wanted to give you a chance and do my traditional flip the script and see if there was anything you wanted to ask me about the whole point of this podcast is i don't want to be one of those influencer type individuals that comes in as i know everything my six month anniversary of tucker being born uh is coming up here in like a week or two. Oh
2: my god
0: and it's only been six months and you are
2: literally a puppy
0: I am literally a puppy, and I am learning so much about myself. I've compared it to coming out all over again. And the guests that I have on the show, I've been just wanting to learn. And as I've interviewed people, I am learning things as I go. Um, But I'm really trying to take the approach as, like, I'm new here, and what is it that I can learn from others? And so I like to always kind of flip the script with my guests and see, like, what questions you have for me.
2: Yeah. Well, I guess the first question I have, I mean – because I, I love hearing people's origin story, like what what made you find Tucker and what gave you the name Tucker?
0: Yeah, I'll give a summarized version of it because I've talked about it a couple times on the yeah. show. But I Tucker just came to me and it's actually going to become my actual name here soon. Um, but to, it happened after my divorce. Um, I was collared. Um, and I, you know what? I'm going to share this poem that I wrote yeah, that really kind of summarizes and I've never shared this on the show because, um, yeah, I wrote this and this kind of sums up the whole thing. Um, I made a poem about why I have a lock on my neck and where my collar comes from and where Tucker comes from. There is a power in the collar that I wear, a symbol of my strength and my self-care. I am the one who holds the key. I am the one who sets myself free. I am in control of my own fate, and I won't let anyone else dictate. My collar may be tight and confining, but it's a reminder of the power that I am defining. I mm-hmm. choose to wear it on my own neck, and, when it comes, and with it comes the courage to take the next step. I am strong, and I am brave. I am the master of my own slave. I will not be held back by fear or clout, for I am the one who locked this collar, no doubt. I am the one who holds the power and I am the one who will rebuild the tower. So here I stand a collar on my neck, a symbol of my strength and my self respect.
2: I love it. I love it so much. Honestly, like as someone like who was collared, like I, I appreciate that sentiment because honestly there's so much power in a collar. And I think that's so often like we forget how much power we can give to ourselves. Um, instead of like having someone else control it. And I think that some of the most beautiful, like just S type people that I've seen are those who kind of control and dominate themselves.
0: Yeah, it's been a really empowering thing. And I love the symbolism when I'm playing with people of being like, first, it's always a treat when people are like surprised when they're like, so who collared you? Where's your master? And I, you know, tell them what's going on. And there's always this intrigueness that comes from it. And I used to be scared that I was going to be called a poser or I was disrespecting it. And I have never received that feedback from anyone. Um, And it's 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 just been a really magical I wasn't a really codependent, unhealthy marriage for and the whole marriage wasn't like that. It was my first love. We were absolutely in love. There was many, many, many good years. Um, But through some trauma and a lot of trauma and a pandemic, things became codependent and toxic and had to end. Um, And I wish it didn't end the way it did. But, you know, we can't control how things happen. And so that collar has been just a token of, like, me owning my growth and my development and my healing process and all of it. And Tucker is the name of it. And in my therapy, if you're familiar with uh, internal family systems, um, my therapist was like, you basically just named, like, your protector and in your internal family systems Tucker. And these are parts of our personality that, you know, protect us and nurture us and keep us safe and help us have fun. It's like multiple personalities, but it's just like defining these parts of your personality and the systems and the roles and interchangeable responsibilities and how they work together. And mine was Tucker. And so that's where Tucker came from and why Tucker is here to stay.
2: I fucking love it, honestly. Like, I I think it's so empowering and I think people need to hear more about that because I don't feel like so often... It, so much of like what we get from the community comes from the validation of others and not the validation of ourselves. And I think what you have is really rare, if that makes sense.
0: Thank you. I really appreciate it. And okay. I love sharing that. I'm so excited to legally change it. Um, my first, yeah, like Casey is going to become my last name. Um, my, my mother was really great. Um, I was originally playing around with different names and she shared with me and I, I love my mom. Um, she was like, you know, until you've had a baby in your stomach for nine months, like it's your name, like, you can do what you want with it. But please remember that like I sat there for nine months trying to think of a gift to give you that would be with you for the rest of your life. And like, please remember that that was a gift from your mother. And so that I'm still going to try to keep my name in there somewhere. But Tucker is mine and is definitely moving into my first name.
2: I totally get that. I actually, um, prior to my transition, actually, I actually changed my last name to my mother's maiden name um, specifically just because honestly my father was adopted by someone who manipulated members of our own community. um, And I didn't want to be associated with that. And I loved my mom's side of the family and I loved my grandfather. So I ended up taking, um, his last name, honestly. So there's nothing like, I think there's nothing more empowering than being able to take back your name. And I understand where your mom's coming from. Um, because like, especially like in that case, like you're so close with your mom, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're close. Yeah. Like there's no reason to like erase that part. Like for me, like erasing my first last name was very important because like, I I believe in like uplifting people, not taking advantage of them. Um, and I think that names have power. They truly do. And they don't have people outside of us, but to us, our names are what control us, honestly.
0: Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. And I want to give you an opportunity to kind of put yourself out there. Where can people find you? How can they get a session with you? Do you make content online they can follow Where do we learn more about Lady Viper with her amazing boot blocking skills?
2: Yeah, so you can find most of that through my link tree, um, which I'll go ahead and send to you in a little bit. Um, I also am currently actually putting out a little bit of cow content in a little bit, um, which I'm really excited about just because honestly, it's what I love and what I'm excited about. And I hope it gets you guys off as much as it gets me off. Um, And in terms of upcoming classes and stuff, For my Portland folks, um, we will have an ethical non-monogamy social club every first Wednesday of the month, and specifically an ethical non-monogamy queer social club every fourth Thursday, Um, and that one we're actually going to be holding at CC Slaughter's, which is a fucking gorgeous space. I just have to say, I just checked it out for the first time. Um, We also have a monthly munch in Salem, which is a little bit outside of Portland, Um, and that happens every second Tuesday and every Third Saturday, um, and we've got some really cool classes coming up for this month and next month as well. You can find me at the Eagle for Wide Load, and then the PDX Paw Social every third Friday, um, and I'll be boot-blacking there. And then at Jiffy Kink, <laughs> so sorry, this is a long list in Portland um, every third Fifty Shades of Shut the Fuck Up every fourth Thursday, and uh, I will be teaching uh, gender affirming intimacy. Uh, for Pragmatically Kinking in May, and then in June, I will be teaching Gender-Affirming Intimacy for Sacred Leathers at Southeast Leather Fest for any other leather people who are listening, Um, and then in a little bit, we'll be announcing a bunch of classes for Detroit for March, June, and October, so just a lot of good education. What can I say? Education is my kink, maybe on par with being a cow. (laughs) um anyways thank you so much for having me and honestly it's always such a joy talking with you and i look forward to honestly getting to know you better
0: yeah thank you so much um i do want to put out there so this is episode nine and when i started this podcast it was just kind of like let's see where this goes and it's it's actually it's still like you know not blown up huge but It's got a decent following at this point. We're like in the thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of uh, people listening to to episodes now. Um, And episode 10 is the next episode, and that is going to conclude season one. And episode 10, I'm going to have Cooper back on, who is a Ph.D. sexologist who runs Support Pup Cooper, um, which was my very first guest on this show. And we've got a surprising announcement for season two, which is right around the corner for next year. Um, So I hope all of you viewers can tune in for that episode because it is the last of season one. And just I'm so happy to have to get to complete this and, you know, finish a goal um, of mine. And I season two is going to take off. I'm so excited and I hope everyone stays tuned for the next episode.
2: Oh, man, this is going to be great. I really look forward to, honestly, like hearing more of your podcast.
0: Thank you so much. Well, you have a great rest of your day. And thanks so much for being on Digging for Bones.
2: Absolutely. Take care, Tucker.